There is a content warning on this week's episode as it involves child abduction and sexual assault. A young boy was out riding his bicycle when suddenly a van bumped him off the road. The seemingly concerned driver stops to help the boy up and this swiftly turned into a kidnapping. The boy was soon reported as a missing child and it would take four grueling years for the boy's parents to get a phone call they had been waiting for. What was this phone call they received? Well, come hang out with me while I talk true crime. Welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. Let's get into this week's case by starting at the very beginning. 1.15 in the afternoon, Richwoods, Missouri, October 6, 2002. 11-year-old Sean Hornbeck jumps on his bicycle like so many children do, and he's bike riding. He's riding around on his bike. He knew exactly where he was going as he was heading to a friend's house And where his friend lived, it wasn't that far away from his home. It's not like he was going very far. As he is biking around, minding his own damn 11-year-old business, he is tapped by a van. This tap didn't seem to be hard enough to cause injury, but it did, however, knock Sean off his bike and give him a bit of a fright, no doubt. As Sean is getting up, a man jumps out of the white truck, appearing to wanting to help Sean up and and see if he's okay. This is not the case at all. The man is a pedophile and he had been hunting for a child that day when he saw Sean riding his bike. The man forced Sean into the truck and I believe his bicycle as well because nobody ever found his bicycle when there was search parties going around, when people were looking for him later, nobody ever found his lime green bicycle. Psychic Sylvia Brown claims that the bike is in a landfill in another town, but I'm going to talk more about Sylvia Brown later. This abduction, it happened so fast and so swiftly that there were no eyewitnesses to this. None at all. Not a single bystander, not a single eyeball saw saw this, which means the abductor, he was watching and he was waiting for his time to strike. This was a calculated strike. As the afternoon turned into evening, Sean's parents, they're at home, They're waiting for him to come home. They were probably looking out the window thinking that any moment they would see their son come sliding in sideways on his green bicycle into the driveway. But this never happened. 5.30 rolls around, which is 30 minutes past the agreed upon return time. Sean's still not home. He's supposed to be home at 5. It's now 5.30. There's no green bicycle, no Sean. Where is Sean? So Sean's parents, they're wondering what's gone wrong to keep him from coming home. He should be home by now. What's going on here? And his mother just knew 
that this was a bad sign. She was having some mother's intuition here. Sean's parents, they go out looking for him and they, there's no sign of him. There's no sign of their son. They're cruising around town. They know where he was going. They go along that pathway to his friend's house or like where the, how the road would get to his friend's house, uh, the roads he was biking on, nothing. They don't see him and they're getting really worried. So now they really bump it up a notch and they start calling around to everyone and, and everywhere that he might be or no, and still no luck, no Sean. Sean, he was reported missing and the community rallied together to look for him. They searched high and low. Police used a canine unit to try and track him, thinking maybe he's hurt somewhere, maybe he's in a ditch, whatever, dog could track him. Um, But the dogs, they lost his scent, most likely because he was thrown into that vehicle. So the dogs probably tracked to where he was knocked off of his bicycle is what I'm assuming. And then there's there's just no way dogs could track his scent in that vehicle. So Sean's parents, uh, Pam and Craig, they threw everything they had at finding their son. They were willing to give up every last dollar they had ever saved if it could help bring their son home. Missing posters went out, a website was started, the community searched tirelessly. Pam and Craig, they were searching around the fucking clock for their son. But as the weeks passed, they still had no information. Four months into the search for their missing son, Pam and Craig went on a popular talk show called Montel Williams to speak with psychic medium Sylvia Brown. Sylvia Brown claimed she could not only see into the future, but she could also speak to the dead. She could communicate with the dead as well. So Sylvia, she appeared on Montel Williams a lot over the years. And in 2003, she actually spoke to Amanda Berry's parents about her disappearance. Pam and Craig, they are talking to Sylvia. They're asking her who abducted their son. And she says a man named Michael. He's possibly Hispanic Uh, And he has dreadlocks and he's driving a blue sedan. Sylvia tells them to look for a kid named Keith as he may have saw something but never told anyone. And it's likely that Keith is in Sean's friend group. Friend group that someone who kind of comes and goes from the friend group. She also tells them that the bike Sean was riding that day is in a landfill in another state. Um... And this is where it gets really dark. When Pam and Craig ask if their child is still alive, Sylvia shakes her head no. I believe they ask, is he still with us? And she shakes her head no. Pam starts crying. That is the last thing she wanted to hear. She didn't want to hear her son was dead. She wanted answers to where he was. Since she's been told by Sylvia Brown her her child is dead, essentially, she's crying. I mean, this is, and it's on TV, and it's just, it's just so terrible. So Sylvia predicts Sean's body is in a wooded area. So she continues on to Sean's parents that she's just told he's dead. And now she's like, oh, and here's where you can find his body. So Sylvia predicts Sean's body is in a wooded area within 20 kilometers of their home and that there are two boulders there as well. 
after the show, this is where searchers actually went and they were looking for Sean, Sean in any area that sounded like or like look, that looked like this, but there was no luck. They never found any bodies, not Sean's body, not anybody's body. And we're going to circle back around to Sylvia Brown's prediction. Don't you worry about that. For, I got to move on for now. Time keeps passing and nothing leads them to their son. Then one day a message comes in on the website they had set up to help find Sean. There was a, a part of the website where people could submit prayers or messages to the family. Uh, Pam and Craig, they had received many odd messages or spam messages or you know just messages they didn't really care to see messages that didn't belong there people messing with them whatever um so this one didn't really come onto their radar until later this message was from username sean devlin and he asked how long are you going to look for your son for and also in another message from the same person, from Sean Devlin, he asks, do you think it would be all right with you if I uh, write a poem for your missing son? Write a poem about your missing son. And nobody ever responded to these messages and, and no poem was ever submitted. Those were just two messages that came in. They were dismissed. Nobody thought anything about them. This is where I'm going to put a pause on Sean's case and talk about another case. This case is directly intertwined with the case I have been talking about. So don't think I'm just switching up cases here. This brings us to January 8th, 2007, four years later, four years since Sean's abduction. A 13-year-old boy named Ben Ownby lives in a town not too far from where Sean was taken. Sean was taken from Richwoods, Missouri, and Ben is from Beaufort, Missouri, which is, they're about 62 kilometers apart. Uh, not exactly side by side, but close enough. Ben, he gets off his school bus one afternoon. He's, he's 13 years old, but he looks much younger for his age. If I had to guess, I would say, I would guess he's 10 years old, 11 year old, old maximum. So he doesn't look 13. Suddenly a white truck pulls up and drags him into the vehicle at gunpoint and peels off, leaving tread marks on the ground. Luckily, someone saw this happen. Someone saw it this time. 15 year old Mitchell halts. He was nearby and Mitchell has a hobby and that hobby is going to aid in this investigation because Mitchell is a motorhead. What do you call them? Gearheads, motorheads. He loves cars. He loves trucks. He loves engines, which means he notices the make and model and imperfections and things that are on this vehicle because he's always looking at vehicles. He's always studying them. He finds them interesting and fun. So he gets a very detailed <laughs> report of this vehicle. It's amazing. It is amazing. Mitchell witnesses Ben get got by this abductor and he calls police and he gives police such a detailed report of the truck that took Ben that I'm sure police were probably thinking, how do you, what's happening here? 
Like most people do not give this much detailed information about vehicles they see in, in passing, basically. But he also knew the make and model and he knew little things that were wrong with it or things that were added to the vehicle. Um, he, he could tell them, oh, it had missing hubcaps. It had a rust around this part of it. And he just had so much information, including the tread pattern of the tires. <laughs> including the tread pattern of the tires because he knew where it peeled off. He went over, he was like, oh yes, those definitely belong to that truck because blah, 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 blah. <laughs> this 15-year-old kid, he knows trucks. This, he, he's just so glad he was there. We were just so glad Mitchell was there. The FBI, they get notified because missing and abducted children, that's a huge deal. So now the FBI here, all about Mitchell's amazing description of this white truck with no hubcaps and the rust and the thing and this and that. And the hunt is on. The FBI, they're looking for this truck. They know they have to move fast. The only problem is they don't have a license plate number for the truck. So they're going to have to kind of approach this from a, a different angle. But they catch a break. A guy who works at a pizza shop in Kirkwood, he calls up police and he says, hey, um, I've just seen the description of this vehicle all over the news regarding the abducted child and my manager he has a truck that looks just like that and also the day that that boy was abducted he left early claiming he was sick Ooh, okay the fbi they are really curious about this lead so good on this guy as well because he has never suspected his manager of ever doing anything like abducting a child, but the pieces of the puzzle were just too obvious for him to not say anything. Like he was like, that guy left early. That looks just like his truck. By the way, I noticed some red dust, some red dirt on his truck that we don't have here that would be in a rural area. Like it's just amazing what this guy did. And he called police to let them know he's like you know I'm not really sure but you know this is really just screaming at me so I have to tell somebody as you can imagine this is very interesting to police and FBI so January 12th four days after Ben's abduction the FBI go to this pizza shop to have a chat with this manager who was sick the day that Ben got abducted and who also drives a white truck matching the description of the vehicle seen abducting Ben. This manager is 41-year-old Michael Devlin. Michael, just like what Sylvia predicted. Michael is compliant uh, and police search his white truck. While this is happening, Michael, he's not looking very at ease. He's looking very uneasy. And he is being questioned by the FBI. And at one point he says, I've got to go. I've got my, my son at home. I've got my son, Sean. He's at home. I got to go. And the FBI, they're pretty interested in this son, Sean. And soon as they they apply a bit of pressure Michael seems to just spill his dark secrets he's just like just spills them all and he tells them that he has Ben Ownby and he also has Sean Hornbeck and he's holding them both in his home and I think he even tells them he's a bad person 
He says, I'm a bad person. I've got these kids. <laughs> yeah, dude, you're a fucking pedophile abductor. I'd say you're a pretty bad person. Ugh. So Sean, he's been missing for four years now. And this guy is telling the FBI that he has Sean alive, less than an hour away from where he went missing. This must have been crazy for the FBI to hear. And they obviously rushed over to Michael's home, uh, his apartment, to see if any of this was even true. And when the FBI opened the door to uh, Michael's apartment, they saw two boys sitting on the couch playing video games. One of the boys was for sure, without a doubt, Ben Ownby. And he ran up to the FBI without hesitation. Like he was like, thank the Lord, I am rescued. I am Ben Ownby, get me the fuck out of here. But the other boy, he just sat on the couch frozen. At first they didn't recognize Sean. He didn't look how he used to look on those missing posters. It was four, four and a half years ago. He looked so much different from, from those missing posters. And, um, you know, he was no longer 11 years old. He was 15 years old now. He had piercings and, and shaggy dark hair. And, you know, he wasn't being chained there and couldn't figure out, like, what's happening right now? We did not expect to find him in, like this. But it was Sean. It was Sean missing four and a half years. They found him. Pam and Craig, they were in their car driving when they received a phone call. This is the phone call I was talking about at the beginning. When they answered the call, the police officer or the attorney, uh, someone had called them and was like, you need to pull over. I think both of their phones were ringing simultaneously. Like they both had calls coming in. And uh, yeah, so they answered the phones like, can you pull over? We got something to tell you it's probably best if you're not driving and the whole time Pam is thinking oh no they're gonna tell me my son is dead they're gonna tell me they found his body like she's thinking the absolute worst like why do they need me to pull over if they're just you know what what's happening here this is gonna be pretty bad so they pull over and the police informed them that their son was found and he was in their custody and he was alive. And Pam can hear Craig say, he's alive. And she just, she says it is the greatest feeling. It, it, yeah, you can just hear it in her voice. She's just so relieved when she's talking to Oprah about this. So you could imagine getting that phone call after over four years of searching for your son who went missing at the age of 11. It, it just would be the greatest feeling on earth to hear those words, to hear even just just hearing Craig on the phone and then say he's alive, like that would, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine how, how Pam was feeling. Sean and his parents, they were reunited at last. And Sean, he goes on to say, I watched an interview with him later on in life. And he says that that moment when he was reunited with his parents was one of the best moments ever one of the best feelings best moments of his life so despite the years that had passed Pam she still recognized her son immediately there was no doubt that this was her baby she was like no I yeah absolutely because like well is it him is it someone saying it's him she took one look and she's like no no this is for sure my baby my mother knows when they brought uh Sean home and he went to his room he quickly noticed that nothing had changed. 
his parents had changed nothing about his room from the day he went missing. Nothing at all. They did not change anything. And I could just imagine the countless sleepless nights Pam stood in the doorway of her son's room when he was missing, just wishing with everything she had that she could have him back, see him standing in his room. And now she could see that because he was there. It would have been so incredible for her to walk past his room and see him in it now. She probably just walked up and down the hallway just to keep passing his open door, <laughs> just to keep looking in, uh, just to make sure it was real, just to see him standing there, sitting at his desk or sleeping in his bed. It just, just would have been so amazing for everyone. The FBI, they had just solved two cases by opening one door. Ben Ownby and Sean Hornbeck were both rescued from the disgusting vile man who abducted them and sexually abused them. Ben Ownby, he was reunited with his family and community as well. I saw this amazing picture uh, that was uh, published and it's one of the day Ben was brought home. The community gathered at a local shop and the missing poster of Ben had the words found and thank you written all over it in Sharpie. And I, I, I love that. It was just so cute. And it made me realize, I think that's one of the first times I've seen a missing poster of a child with the words found and thank you written on it. Um, I'm going to jump back in time now to the day Sean was abducted and talk about what those four years were like for him. Then I'm going to get into the charges of Michael Devlin. So the day Sean was taken from the street on his bicycle by Michael Devlin, he was immediately brought to Kirkwood, where Michael lived, about an hour away. For the first few weeks, Michael kept Sean tied up, like restrained somehow, whether that was with ropes or chains, I'm not sure. And he would torture him in ways like sleep deprivation, um, sexual assault, just twisted sick things. I'm not going to get into it, but I will tell you the things that Sean endured are just uh, horrible. Horrible. This man is an absolute piece of human fucking trash. He is a massive man. I believe he's like 300 pounds and he's preying on an 11 year old boy. I just hate Michael Devlin so much. I hate him. He is so pathetic and disgusting and he's just an absolute waste of oxygen. It's believed that Michael, he planned to kill Sean once he had sexually assaulted him. Um, but Sean, he was able to convince Michael not to kill him by agreeing not to tell anyone, not to running away, not to run away and basically just being compliant. Um, maybe he could get to keep his life. Michael had even strangled Sean as if he was going to kill him. And I think this might have happened a few times. Like Sean thought that he was going to die multiple times. But he managed to convince Michael to let him live. So just let me live. I'll be compliant. I'll do what you, what you want. I won't tell anyone. I'll, I'll like stay here. And Michael, he agrees. He's like, okay. So after the first month, Sean, he's still there. He's still alive. And Michael told him that if he ever did seek help or if he ever did get the idea to run away, that Michael would kill Sean's entire family. 
Sean's 11 years old and he hears this and he absolutely believes this. This is how Michael holds Sean hostage without the use of ropes and chains and deadbolts, locks, whatever. He does it mentally, which is scary because no one can see those chains. No one can see those locks. This isn't a dark dungeon that he's pushed into and forced into it and locked in there. No, he's got mental chains on him. And Michael, he would leave the apartment all day to go work at the pizza place, leaving Sean there alone. And still, Sean was too terrified to even think about running away. He didn't want his entire family to die, to be murdered in a brutal way because of him. After a while, Sean, he was allowed to go outside. He could meet people. He could make friends. And he did. He told everyone his name was Sean Devlin and that he lived with his dad and that he was homeschooled. And nobody recognized him from the missing posters. They were all like, cool, hey, Sean. Nobody. It was only an hour away from where he went missing. I'm assuming his picture was on the news. Mm -hmm. I don't know how, how nobody recognized him, but nobody recognized him. Later, neighbors would say that they had no idea that Sean was a missing child and nobody suspected Michael Devlin of abusing or abducting Sean. Uh, One of the neighbors said Sean was very spoiled by Michael and he he had everything that he wanted. I mean, if you really want to look at that, that's grooming though, isn't it? giving him everything he wants to make him stay. And I don't know. It just, I think there's an element of grooming here and Sean is just terrified his family's going to die. And there's just a lot going into this. A lot of um, psychological stuff happening. There is just so much mental warfare here um, and no one can see it from the surface. How could they? To neighbors, Sean seemed free. He was out on his bike. He was on the computer. He was using a phone. He didn't tell anybody about how he got there or what was happening to him behind closed doors because the abuse is still continuing. The sexual abuse is, is still happening. Sean had access to a telephone, computer, and internet as well, but he was so terrified his family would be murdered if he contacted them or or told anybody that he he didn't. But he did send those messages to his family through his missing persons website. That's right, that was Sean. His father unknowingly read his son's words, which were, how long will you look for your son? And can I write a poem about your son? And he wrote it using the name Sean Devlin. Devlin being the last name of the abductor. Nobody realized in the community that Sean was living in when he was abducted that it was Sean Hornbeck. Nobody, not even police, because within those years, Sean was held captive. He had a couple, he had multiple face-to-face interactions with police, and he was never recognized as the missing child. 10 months after Sean had been abducted, he walked into the local police station in Kirkwood, but he wasn't there to tell police who he was. He was there to report his bicycle being stolen. He said his name was Sean Devlin, and he even told police where he lived. And then he just 
walked out after his missing bike report was filed and police didn't suspect anything. Another time in 2006, just four months before Ben and Sean were discovered by the FBI, Sean, he was out riding his bike at night. A police officer stopped him for not being visible enough and Sean had told told the officer his name was Sean Devlin and he gave a fake birthday as well, one that didn't match his real date of birth. And the officer, he warned him to be safe and put reflectors on his bike or whatever and took off, never knowing he was just talking to a missing child. And that was four months before they're discovered, before Sean and Ben are both discovered. I can't even imagine the sexual abuse Sean endured over those four years, all while having to put on this persona that Michael was his father and he's not missing his entire family. I'd imagine Sean was in survival mode for all those years, doing what he had to do to stay alive and doing what he thinks is going to keep his family safe and his family alive. By January 2007, Sean was looking too mature for Michael's disgusting sexual preferences. And this is where the plan to get another boy arose from. Because Sean's getting older and Michael's a pedophile. So clearly he only likes children. Michael, he wanted Sean to help. But Sean was dead set against the idea. He didn't want another boy to enter the hell that he was in. And he refused to help. He was like, oh, don't fucking do this. What are you doing? Like, blah, blah, blah. So Michael, he went to Beaufort and he watched and he waited for a child to get off the school bus. That's when he swooped in. Not knowing that 15-year-old Mitchell was not only watching the entire thing, but also got a really good look at Michael's truck and also was really into vehicles so he's going to remember all of that and he knows a lot of things about trucks and then he was going to call police and tell police okay so Michael didn't anticipate any of that Sean he tried his best to try and protect Ben from Michael and also give Ben advice such as you know just be quiet just do what he says but Michael he unfortunately did sexually abuse Ben Four days after Ben's abduction, Ben and Sean are both found in Michael Devlin's apartment alive by FBI. So Michael Devlin, he's arrested that day and charged with kidnapping Ben Ownby immediately. Immediately he's charged with that. He soon had two kidnapping charges against him and then a whole slew of other charges. So this is what I like to hear. These charges were piling up so high that there was going to be no way for Michael Devlin to ever get out of prison. In February, more charges were added towards uh, Michael Devlin, and these include 17 counts of forcible sodomy in the case of Ben Ownby. After Ben was rescued, he was examined, and it was evident that Michael Devlin had forcibly sodomized Ben both orally and anally. 53 charges of forcible sodomy were brought against Michael in the case of Sean Hornbeck. And when you add in the kidnapping charges for both Sean and Ben, that is a total of 71 charges. And just one of these charges equates to a life sentence. And Michael Devlin at this point has 71 and there'll 
there will be more. So since Michael Devlin used a gun when he abducted Ben Ownby, that was another charge added on. March 1st, four counts of producing child pornography are added onto the long list of charges. It seemed Michael Devlin was also making child pornography as he raped children. The charges, they kept rolling in. Hallelujah. I have actually never, ever seen so many charges against one person before. And they are all very, very serious charges. And there's just so many of them. There was an attempted murder charge in there. There was more counts of forcible sodomy added on. There was transporting minors across state lines, armed criminal action, and all the rest I've already said. So what happens in court? Michael Devlin pleads guilty. Good. He he pled guilty on October 6th to October 9th. He had multiple days of pleading guilty. That's how many charges he had to plead guilty to. Some of them were in other jurisdictions, so that's why it took days to cover all the charges, and he pled guilty to all of them. Good. When all was said and done, Michael Devlin would never, ever be leaving prison alive with a total of 74 life sentences plus 2,020 years, which is a grand total of 4,240 years behind bars. Such a good sentencing, and I love to see it. I did not read if any of these were concurrent, so I'm really hoping they are not. We all know that child rapists do not do well in jail, and in this case, because it was so massive and everybody knew about it, it was publicized, everybody knew who Michael Devlin was, this made him an an even larger target in prison. One morning in 2011, Michael Devlin was attacked by one other prisoner who was armed with two homemade knives, better known as shivs. The prisoner walked up to Michael Devlin and started stabbing the pedophile rapist, probably hoping to kill him. He did not die from this. though He did live after this attack. This led officials to ask the question, should we change Michael Devlin's name? Should we give him a new identity and move him to a new state to be in in prison where nobody knows him and he's under a fake name? Fuck off with that idea. That's what I immediately, I was like, no. But ultimately the victim's family were like, fuck no. So he had to keep his name and remain in that prison where everybody knew him and hated him. Police suspect that Michael Devlin had abducted and possibly killed other children. There is a unsolved Missouri case of a 11-year-old boy, 11-year-old boy who was possibly abducted in 1992 while riding his bicycle and never seen again. This fits exactly with Michael Devlin's MO. Exactly. 11-year-old boy, Missouri, riding his bicycle, disappears, never seen again. There was another case of a 13-year-old girl who was walking alone in a rural area in Foley, Missouri, which is about an hour from where Michael Devlin lived in Kirkwood. She also went missing and has never been found. There is a Canadian guy that has accused Michael Devlin of trying to abduct him when he was a child visiting Missouri with his father and stepmother. 
And the guy said that he was walking back. So he was a child at this time. It wasn't until 22 years later that he came out and was like, whoa, I just saw this case. And that's the guy. I'll never forget his face. He tried to abduct me when I was walking back to my stepmom's home. I was about half a block away when a man in a white truck pulled up and asked him to get into the vehicle. The boy refused. He was like, no, I've only got half a block. Like, I'm fine. And the man in the truck, he got really agitated and he told the boy to get in the truck. And that's when the boy ran. It wasn't until years later that the guy was like, oh my God, that's the guy who tried to abduct, abduct me. And then he went to the FBI in Missouri to tell them all about it. Which is just wild. I believe there are a few more cases um, that Michael Devlin is actually suspected of being involved in involving missing children believing he had something to do with their disappearances which is just chilling to think about I mean how many times had he done this does he have anything to do with these unsolved cases how many unsolved cases could he be involved in it just I don't know as far as I know Michael Devlin has not said anything from prison about these unsolved cases Let's talk about Sylvia Brown. I want to circle back around to this psychic medium, Sylvia Brown, and her premonition to to Sean's mother and father on the Montel Williams show. Okay, so apparently Sylvia Brown was outed as a hack. Boy, did she profit uh, from this little scam she was running. Apparently, a lot of her predictions were wrong including, which we all know, the Amanda Berry prediction where she told Amanda's parents that Amanda was dead. Amanda Berry was not dead. She was held captive for 10 years with two other women in Cleveland by Ariel Castro. And she and Sylvia also said, uh, hey, Pam and Craig, Sean is is dead. Sean Hornbeck is, he's not with us anymore. He's not dead. He, what, he was alive. He wasn't dead. Four, four and a half years later, four years later, he's, he's also found alive. So why this woman is telling vulnerable families their missing children are dead, it's just really gross. It's just really disgusting that she would do that. She may have gotten the first name of the abductor correct, which I thought, I was like, whoa, that is kind of crazy. Because when I'm watching it, I know the case already. I'm watching this Montel Williams episode and she's like, the guy's first name is Michael. And I was like, whoa, holy shit. Like she got that right. Um, But I guess that could be explained by Michael being a very common name because nothing else she said was even the slightest amount true. Sean, to this day, he is living his life. He's married. He has children. He went to college. He got a job working in a metal shop. And he's living uh, a normal life in Missouri with his wife and kids. The last interview I saw with him was when Amanda Berry was found alive after the 10 years of captivity. They went and and interviewed Sean because those two they kind of went missing around the same time and um Sean yeah they're just like Sean what do you think about this and Sean was like you know if they if the family needs any help if she needs any help they can contact me and you know he was just giving his his 
not opinion, but his support, his support to, to Amanda and letting her know that, that he, he's there for her if she needs him. Ben Ownsby, he still lives in the Missouri area as well, and I'm not quite sure what he's up to now, but I hope Ben Ownsby and Sean Hornbeck just get to live the best lives. That wraps up this week's case. Please take a second to rate five stars on Apple Podcast or Spotify. I would really appreciate that. And hit that follow button as well. So when I upload a case, hopefully a little blue dot will come up or it will tell you or it will notify you somehow that a new episode is out. If you want to catch me on Instagram and TikTok, please do so at hellno underscore a true crime podcast. If you want to send me an email, just email me at hellnopodcast at outlook.com. To Michael Devlin, I say hell no. Thanks for listening and see you next week.